Hey folks, Chris and Rich here. Uh, just want to talk to you real quick about the folks we do our podcast hosting through. Our podcast is powered by Podbean Podcast Hosting. Now, if you're thinking about starting your own podcast or you're looking for the best home for your podcast, I want to encourage you to check out all the amazing features that Podbean offers with unlimited bandwidth and storage for an affordable price. That's right, it's unlimited. So visit uh, podbean.com slash V-O-R radio to check it out today. And again, that's podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash V-O-R-R-A-D-I-O. Thanks for checking it out. We'd really appreciate it. And if you're wanting to podcast, this is a really great place to do it. We've been doing with this with them for quite a few years now, and we've been very uh, grateful for all their help and for their the tools that they have available. Please give it a che- uh, check, and I think you'll be happy with it. So now we're on to the show. Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio, your hosts, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this Monday, May 22nd, 2023. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's a Monday. We understand. (laughs) But we do appreciate you joining us uh, this weekend. Just kind of ran afoul for both of us. And this time, we actually just was like, nope, we're going to make it happen on a Monday. And here we are. And what a topic for a Monday, too. You guys hopefully like this one. We hope. Don't, don't hurt us. Uh, but thank you for being part of the Voice of Reason Radio family. If you are new to us, still relatively new, thank you for uh, tuning in. Thank you for listening to the programs. By the way, there is one particular uh, listener that I just want to say thank you because I, and Rich, I forgot to tell you this in pre-show, I have never seen quite so many comments come in through Podbean as I have from someone by the name of Nature Lover 2012. Uh, Nature Lover 2012 has literally discovered us recently on Podbean and has gone back to as far as like 2016. I'm seeing comments from episodes. Uh, you've listened to like everything. There were there was literally comments on episodes I forgot we had done. So <laughs> thank you for really diving in and uh, t- you know just getting that full Voice of Reason Radio experience. Uh, and by the way, thank you for all your comments. Uh, it's funny. Normally, I get an email. We get a comment here, a comment there. I don't know why, but Podbean was like, okay, you got a comment, but when I go and scroll, there were like six comments. So it, I didn't realize there were so many until I started scrolling. So if I missed any, I apologize. But uh, thank you. And some of you seem to be doing that. It seemed to be really diving into uh, some of the stuff that we've done before, and we are grateful to have you. Want to remind you, as we always do, we are part of the Christian Podcast community, which is a collection of Christian podcasts, like-minded brethren, solid in their uh, theology and and the belief that this is the Word of God and that we are to speak from the Word of God, not try to speak at the Word of God and make it how we want it, but rather we are taught by it and grow from it. And uh, it is a vetting process. You must be vetted. And uh, and so you can be sure that if you're listening to something on uh, on that 
collection of podcasts, you're going to be getting something good. So recommend that. Also, we want to remind you that our website is slavetothekeen.com, which is actually going to be talked about tonight because part of our uh, our actual program is centering around one of the articles we just dropped on there. And uh, we want you to go there. Some of you have started signing up and become followers of it. We do get those notifications. So when you do, thank you for doing that. And it's from there that if you are someone who wants to support the program in a variety of ways, you can. Uh, There is a website called doctrineandlife.co where we have uh, show merchandise. It's limited to T-shirts and some stickers. But hey, if you want to support the show and help get the word out, that's a way to do it. Uh, There's also uh, the link to our Patreon um, at this stage, we don't do the fancy, hey, if you do Patreon, we give you something extra because honestly, I, I work and I have a family and Rich has got a family and w- we haven't made that time for that yet. And we're really sorry. Um, but if you do want to uh, support the program, that's one way you can do it. And we do have some faithful listeners who have basically uh, help us pay enough to, to keep this show hosted and we're grateful, you know that you know that's that we're not asking you to do that. That's between you and the Lord. That's just we put that out there because some people uh, occasionally do ask about it. And then, of course, from there, from the website, you can find our social media. You can uh, interact with the things that we say and do. You can share links to other people and draw them in to become part of the Voice of Reason Radio family. And we hope that you're willing to do that. So those are ways that you can support the program and be uh, kept informed of what is new with uh, this program, with the podcast, with the uh, the blog, etc. So hopefully that those are things that are beneficial to you. So we thank you for all that. Thank you for always giving us that time right at the beginning to, to explain all of that. And we're going to try to keep this one a little bit tight tonight because I got to get up early and go to work tomorrow. Uh, and so we got to get we got to keep it short. And there's still a lot of material in there. So how you doing this week, brother? Oh, as always, brother, better than I deserve. Um, one of the reasons overall I'm truly better than I deserve is because my Lord and Savior blessed me with a wife Amen. better than I deserve. He granted and gave me and blessed me with a true godly woman. And that's actually tonight's topic is biblical marriage. As we get started in this, I want to go back and point to the absolute beginning. We're going back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 16, it reads, To the woman he said, meaning God Almighty, God Almighty, the creator of all things, is the one making this statement. I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And that's from the ESV. If you go and look up the word rule in the original Hebrew, the original Hebrew is mashal. It means to rule, have dominion, reign. To rule, have dominion, reign. In a NASB translation, dominion, gain control, govern, head charge, have authority, master, obtain dominion, really going to rule, rule, ruled, ruler, rulers, rulers, rules, ruling, wielded. So uh, it's no doubt to what that word in Hebrew, mashal, means and how the original Israelites, the original Hebrews, how they would have understood that word. Now, with that being said, I recently was, oh, and by the way, that particular Hebrew word is used over 80 times in the Old Testament. 
and each time it is in reference to controlling, ruling, dominion. Um, in chapter 4 of Genesis, it talks about Cain ruling over his sin. And the same word, mashal, is used in that sense. So it does mean control, dominion, rule. But in today's context, a, a, a professing Christian woman re replied to me yesterday on an unrelated post that she does not serve a misogynistic God, that God sees everyone equal if they're in Christ, that men and women both are given the same authority, they're given the same control, they're given the same headship, that men and women both can evangelize, and there's no limit what they can do because God is not a misogynistic God. Now, is that the statement by this user, is that grounded in biblical truth, or is it grounded in the more modern feminist mindset? Um, and a lot of people, and you're going to cover this, a lot of people today equate this verse with slavery, that, mm -hmm. that women are no better than slaves, not realizing that when the abolitionist movement ended in the late 1860s and the slaves were granted freedom, the very next thing that these women abolitionists did was start the suffrage movement, and the very argument they made was women are no better off than slaves. And in the beginning, when it came to those early, early days of the feminist movement, or what we've known now, know now as the feminist movement, where you want to consider it the third wave, fourth wave, whatever, in its beginning, it was rooted in culture and society. The very notion of women's equality with men as they perceive it was not rooted in scripture but grew out of society and culture and like I'm, we're not going to go deep into this but in the beginning women were claiming we just want the right to vote well recently in the last decade the homosexual supporting people came out about same sex marriage we just want the right to vote whether good or, I mean, excuse me, they want, they just want the right to get married. Whether good or bad, any of these issues always start out with the words, we just want. Mm -hmm. But it never stays within the confines of that. It already always grows and goes further and goes further and goes further. Whether women, giving the women the right to vote, whether that was good or bad, we're not addressing that. But what we do see in the Bible is in Genesis, this is declared by God himself. And whether you're, depending on what point of view you want to make, some have argued that that's the reason women were subjected to men throughout the Old Testament until we get to the New Testament and Paul's edicts about biblical marriage, or whether women were treated as second-class citizens or whatever view you want to put on it. There's a lot of different opinions. Either way, the point and the main statement is that once Christ was resurrected and he started building his church, there were some new freedoms granted to both men, women, and slaves as brothers and sisters in Christ that may not necessarily have existed prior to that. 
the point being, regardless of any freedom, any liberty that Christ gifts and blesses any one of us with, under the law of grace, more times than not, individuals are not satisfied with what Christ has gave them. They want to go beyond that. They want to go further. They want more than what Christ is granting and giving to them. That is exactly what happened in the garden, and that's what we still see now, even with the new liberties and newfound freedoms that these women were given as Christian sisters, mothers, and wives in the New Testament under the law of grace. Many times they are not satisfied with what Christ has blessed them with. They want to go beyond that. They want more than what Christ has declared that they are to have and what their role is in family and church. And the church part of this issue we will discuss at a later time, but tonight we're specifically addressing men and women's roles in family and how culture has perverted the beauty and the glory of the gospel and the declares and decrees of Christ in biblical marriage. They have perverted and twisted that. Now, there's many, many reasons why this has happened that we might could address at a later show, one being rampant divorce, rampant sexuality, you know, abuse, whatever these other issues are, but it still goes back to this is what Christ has declared. This is how we are to behave as husbands and as wives and how we are to behave in society as Christians. But you add in all the other baggage because of sin, and people want to distort the beauty and the grace of this and go beyond it. Um, last time I read marriage among marriage among professing Christians today, the divorce rate is no different than those who don't profess Christ. It's not always been that way. And we see arguments about, well, if a husband is being abusive, a woman has every right to divorce that man. And, we, and some of these, quote unquote, Christian feminists claim, well, the only way to stop abuse in the church is that we give women a more active role, uh, a more authoritative role within the church, and that will help combat and push back some of these abuse issues. No, we need to stick to the Word of God. Just because someone professes to be a Christian doesn't mean that they are a Christian. That is the first and foremost thing that we have got to remember, that not everyone who professes Christ is actually a Christian. If you have a man that's cheating on his spouse, is beating on his spouse, is beating on his children, shows up for church every Sunday and claims to be a Christian. If we could examine the fruit right off the bat, we'd, we would doubt whether this man is truly saved or not. So then it becomes a gospel issue. It becomes a salvation issue. Yeah. And sadly, that is highly influenced among the church where we do have both men and women who sit up in church every Sunday and claim to be a Christian, but if we knew their private lives, what they were watching, what they were reading, and what they were doing when no one else was watching, we would doubt their salvation. But the thing is, they don't seem to remember and realize Christ is watching, Christ is with them. Yeah. And that's one thing I want to encourage anyone listening to this, that regardless of what you claim you are, regardless of what you claim to believe, you need to remember that Christ is always watching. Christ knows your heart. 
and that should terrify you and make us cling to wanting to obey him out of love rather than thinking that, well, we've got to obey him or we're going to be punished. No, we obey Christ out of love, not because we think we have to to keep our salvation, but we're so grateful and thankful to having been saved. We want to honor, we want to glorify Christ. And it really truly comes down to an issue of if you're a professing Christian, are you living your life each day to glorify yourself, to glorify your own wants, your own emotions, your own desires, or are you living to glorify Christ? We're to be conformed to the image of Christ. We're not, try, we're not to try to make Christ and the Word of God conform to the image that we want. Amen. But as we go into this, I'm going to kind of hand it over to you now, mm-hmm. and you can clear up anything I may have muddled over or <laughs> misstated. No, I don't think you muddled over anything, brother. Here, always appreciate what you have to say, and, and I think you know before we go too far, let's uh, you know make it clear we're not going to get into a, a, a debate debate over feminism on this program. However, what Rich has said is absolutely true. When we are dealing with worldly ideologies, and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about things like feminism. And by the way, there's a flip side to this that I I've seen more and more on social media. I think somebody has referred to it as, uh, let me see if I can find the phrase here, uh, manosphere. You know, this, this uh, I'm the man thumping my chest kind of uh, hoo, 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 kind of stuff. And it's, it's the opposite side of the same coin. It's a mis, misuse of the, the roles that God has given us, and it's adopting worldly ideologies into something that uh, scripture speaks against so want to make sure that when we say this is like both both sides have this horrible sinful way of attacking the word of god and it is only by understanding what god's word says about who we are about what we are called to that we begin to do things in a manner that is reflective of him, that gives honor and glory to him, and therefore, by extension, you know, is good for us and uh, is good for the, the world around us because they see the gospel on display in our lives. What it has done, and, and I would argue, uh, as it says in Scripture, that our marriages are actually a picture of the gospel of Christ and the church, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But as you were saying, one of the problems is what we see, uh, specifically going back to your, your mention of feminism, is if you ever dare use the word submission in, in any social media context, public commentary con, uh, context, or even within the church, you will often hear like an audible hiss because, as, as Rich pointed out, uh, feminism, one of its founding principles was that, well, women are no better than, off than slaves. Now, there are things that we could discuss historically where, whether that was true or not, but there, there was a very distinct difference. And the thing is, is that that is still the mantra being used today, that if, you, that if a woman is called to have a specific role that is not equal in authority, not equal in uh, esteem, not equal in in power and in position as a man, then she's, she's been reduced to chattel slavery. And it's simply, number one, it's not true, but number two, um, it is rejecting what the Word of God has to say. Now, before y'all get too uptight and too worried, we're going to cover both sides of this. We're going to go kind of fast, 
but I am going to recommend that you read the article we put out this week specifically on this, and we'll put it in the show notes. And it was um, a ta- an article entitled Submission and Love, Biblical Marriage Defined. The reason we want to talk about this, though, is because that really is, that whole submission is slavery, is is really the, one of the biggest attacks against biblical definition of marriage. And what we did with this article, what I what I wrote this week, was taking a uh, taking us to Ephesians chapter five, and talking about the roles of men in women in in marriage in a godly manner. Now I will say, um, and I don't do this for any pat on the back. I'm just very amazed um, how far this has reached. At the last check, it was somewhere like around 530 views, which is pretty big f- for us. We're not G3. We're not James White. We're not, you know, <laughs> Wretched Radio. We don't, we don't get those thousands upon thousands of, of views. But for us, that was a pretty big deal that that many people found this useful, and so many of you uh, that did read it were gave really, I think, positive feedback uh, because they felt found it very helpful. So what I want to do is we'll start with just talking about this passage out of Ephesians chapter 5, which is verses 22 to 33. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as as Christ is the head of of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to everything in, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. <clears throat> Excuse me. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I can guarantee you, if you were just to sit down and read that passage, no commentary, you could rile up a whole lot of people, especially those who refer to themselves as egalitarians. Why? Because the word submit is in there. The word in submitting into authority, the concept of authority, that you know that those things cause people who are not holding to a biblical understanding of marriage, it just rankles the skin. Now, before we go into that, Rich, did you have any thought? Well, I'd like to point out, too, that even in the context of that verse, the notion and thought and idea of submitting to Christ, that in itself will cause contention, because I have quoted I posted and did nothing but quote a Bible verse. It was from Acts 2 when Peter says, This Jesus, God has made both Lord and Christ. I posted that verse, and Mm -hmm. automatically I was called a heretic because I was adhering to lordship salvation. (laughs) Throughout the New Testament, we are told to obey Christ, to submit to Christ, to submit to his word. Jesus Christ himself said, If you love me, obey my commandments. So... It's not even just a matter of the issue of women submitting 
to their husbands or or submitting, you know, uh, a daughter submitting to her parents but or a woman submitting to her husband, the very notion that we should be submitting to Christ, that in itself is an area of contention and is despised by many who profess Christ him, themselves. Amen. A- absolutely. Which is actually what this goes back to when you actually read it and examine what Scripture says. When we're talking about the issue of submission, it goes back to that very point that Paul makes. He says, submit to your, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's probably the most, the most absent portion of Scripture in these arguments. Um, I, I think it was Jennifer Buck, uh, uh, wife of Pastor Tom Buck out of Texas, who commented when she read my article that she was so appreciative that that passage was in there because she felt that that's something that rarely gets discussed. And I agree in almost every set of circumstances, when I see this discussion as to the Lord is absent, you know, and, and this is the thing, what are we really rankled about? It's what you just pointed out, Rich. It's this idea of submitting to the Lord himself, because when we look at what submitting to the husband as to the Lord means is that in every aspect of a woman's life, just as a husband or, or, or a, a husband or a wife, man or a woman, child, uh, uh, you know, aged, whatever, we all have this thing that we are called to do, which is to be obedient to Christ. When, when this is going to rankle the antinomians out there, but guess what? When you're saved, <clears throat> you are then to live a life that is consistent with obedience to Christ. We actually talked about this in a recent episode where we talked about how in salvation, when we are brought to new life, we are given a new heart with new desires and we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, which means we desire. We may war with it. We may war with our desires because we're still in this flesh, but we desire to be obedient to Christ. We want to walk and grow in holiness. We should at least. We will fight with that, we'll struggle with that, but we should be making progress throughout the course of our life in desiring to be obedient to the commands of God. And so every aspect of of a woman's life is this constant walk in obedience to Christ, this, this constant struggle, this constant effort to strive to be obedient to Christ, to grow in Christ's likeness. So we get to this one aspect of the marriage and everything goes off the rails. Why? Because, well, culture tells us submission is slavery. So therefore, it can't possibly mean that I actually have to submit to my husband because that's slavery and Jesus wouldn't want us to be slaves. And that's where the whole thing falls apart because it is this utter disregard for as to the Lord. It is the defining moment uh, and the defining role of what it means to be a wife in a marriage that's under God, that's under Christ. It's an act of devotion and obedience to God himself to submit to, for a wife to submit to her husband. And that's, it's what he has designed in that role because he is, and and the thing is, is this is Paul writing as an apostle. And I, and I hear this a lot. Oh, well, Paul's not Jesus. Paul was specifically called by Jesus. Okay. Paul literally got knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus, was 
educated by Jesus for three years in the wilderness, was shown all that he would do and go through, and wrote as an apostle, which meant he wrote as someone who wrote with commands to the church that were expected to be obeyed as, guess what, to the Lord. So when Paul wrote these things, he wrote as someone who is a speaking for Christ. And so when we have these words, as Peter, the Apostle Peter has said himself, the Paul, writings of Paul are scripture, we have this command of Christ, which is something that is good and honorable for the wife and pleasing to God and brings glory to him. And so it is this willing demonstration of loving God and seeking to please uh, please him and completely trusting in the Lord to do things in a way that honors him, that his ways are better than hers. His ways are higher than hers. Submission is not being reduced to a slave. It's actually acting, uh, it's an act of seeking to be conformed to the image of Christ. So you know, ladies, when you are, you know, reading scripture and you're seeing these issues and maybe it's a, maybe it's an issue of anger. Maybe it's an issue of uh, stewardship. Maybe it's an issue of, of, of child rearing. Maybe it's an issue of how you deal with your boss at work, whatever it is. And you're reading the word and you go, man, I need to work on this area of my life because the Lord has called me to be obedient, not to be sharp with my tongue, to be a good steward of the things that I have, to raise my children, to, to love, honor, and cherish God, uh, you know, to be a good servant to my master. You know, that's the closest thing we have. Servant-master relationship is the workplace. So you, you see all these areas, ladies, and you go, I want to grow. I, I want to be obedient to Christ. And in this same way, in the home, in this, in the place of marriage, this is the command God has given you, and it's not so that you'll be a slave. We're going to get into what it means to be submitting to a husband is who's in authority in just a second, but it's about submitting to God and saying He defines what my marriage role is. He defines what the marriage looks like. He defines these things. It is a submission to Him first and foremost because you love Him and you cherish Him more than anything else. Rich. Well, you you hit on the key aspect in a lot of this, the denial of this verse and being offended by this verse and making excuses for this verse goes back to the absolute basics. They deny that the writings of Paul are actually the words of God. When you can say, okay, this book of the Bible is the Word of God, this book of the Bible is not the Word of God, then you're making your own self the God over the Word instead of submitting to the Word of God. And every argument that I've come across, whether I've participated in it or read it or witnessed it, all have this common theme that, well, this was just Paul's opinion, this was just Paul's advice, this just applied to the church in the Ephesus. This was just, this was just, this was just. But yet Peter acknowledges that Paul's writings were scripture. I can't remember the verse right off my head, but um, Peter acknowledges that Paul's writings are the scripture. God himself acknowledges that every author of the New Testament books were inspired, were written by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit was indwelling these men 
and they were writing what they were told to write. They were carried on, inspired, whatever label you want to put on it. But it is the Word of God. And if someone does not understand that, all the other discussions are out the window because if they deny that this is the Word of God, then why are they even reading the Bible to begin with? They would be just as well off reading any other piece of literature because it would have absolutely no authority. The Word of God carries the authority of God himself because God created all things. God himself is the author of every book in the Bible. And if they don't understand that basic concept, they don't have a hermeneutic problem. They have a gospel problem. They have a salvation problem because they're denying the very word that they claim to put their faith in. It's like when Paul said, if Christ is not raised from the dead, our faithless faith is worthless. If we don't believe everything in the Bible is the word of God, then why are we even reading or studying the Bible? Because if it's left up to each individual's own interpretation as to whether this book is actually the Word of God or not, then none of it is, because then you could excuse or cast out anything you want to. And sadly, in today's age, far too many people read their Bibles with a black sharpie instead of a highlighter. They go through and mark out the portions they don't like and say, well, God didn't really mean that. They're falling back to the very first words uttered in the garden, did God really say? They're still using that excuse. They're still falling prey to that question. Did God really say? And when it comes to these issues of women and men's role in home and in church, they're, they're still posing that question. Well, this was Paul's words. It wasn't, God, it wasn't God's word. So in essence, they're still saying, well, did God really say? Yep. But we need to also keep in mind, and I think you were headed this direction, that people tend to look at this in one perspective. Well, submission, that's bad. A woman shouldn't have to submit to her husband. But yet they never say that their children should not submit to their mothers. Amen. That's actually still part in the context of this. Children submit to their mothers and to their fathers. The mother, the wife, submits to the husband as to Christ. But... With each one of those submissions, there's an area of authority to the one above that. The mother is an authority over the children. If the mother disobeys God in the way that she raises her children, that indictment, that punishment goes against the mother, not against the children. And in the same context, if a husband is not leading his wife as Christ commands, regardless of whether she's being submissive to him or not, he's still going to be held accountable to God for his actions and the way that he stewards this family that God has blessed him with. That's an aspect of this no one ever considers, that even if a husband is being unbiblical in the way that he acts and treats his wife, he will be held accountable to Christ yep. because this is the family that Christ has blessed him with. And doublefold, if this man professes to be a Christian, but if he professes to be a Christian and dishonors the Word of God by not treating his wife as Christ commands, he's under double jeopardy, just as a pastor is under double jeopardy if he waters down or taints the Word of God to the men and women and children that God gives for him to shepherd and to direct. 
does all that make sense? No, absolutely, one hundred percent spot on, and I appreciate that. And for the listeners, what uh, the passage Rich was referring to is out of Second Peter, chapter three. It's uh, verses fifteen through uh, fifteen and sixteen, where he writes, uh, "And count the patience." of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul, brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom, wisdom given him, again, Peter saying, wisdom given by God to Paul, as he does in all his letters which he, when he speaks in them in, of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So Peter clearly stating that what Paul wrote was scripture, so we can no longer say that, well, that's only Paul and it's just his opinion. No, it's scripture. And Peter makes a point of saying that the ignorant and unstable twist those that scripture to their own destruction, just as they would any other passage of scripture. So the scriptures, if, they, if what Paul wrote is ignored and rejected, it is as if you are a, uh, an ignorant and unstable person twisting the word of God up to your own destruction. So you, we don't get to dismiss Paul. We don't get to say, well, he's, he's a man of his time or he, he, was, he was misogynistic and, and, and the Bible is, is moving in a certain trajectory and he was just ignorant. We don't get to say those things because even Peter, who walked with Christ, said that Paul was given wisdom by God and wrote scripture. And to, to ignore it is to twist it to your destruction. So that is, is very, very clear. And, and before we get on to the, the husband, which was what you were just getting at a minute ago, there's one other aspect of this that I think is also so uh, often neglected in understanding this, uh, that why the role of, of wife is so important to God, why the role of submitting to the husband is so important to God. It is because Paul makes it clear that the wife is submitting to Christ just as the church, or submitting to God, just, or I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself. The wife submits unto her husband, just as the body, the bride of Christ, the church submits to Christ. Ladies, in your marriages, you are picturing something more than just a loving spouse, a a, a, a wonderful mother. You're you're not you're not just uh, you know picturing 1950s Americana. What you're actually picturing is the you are a picture of the church. See, the church is called to be obedient to Christ in all areas. Obedience doesn't save us. Obedience is something that works out of our salvation. We're saved, therefore we obey. And in the same way, when you submit unto your husband, you are showing the world at large, hey, this is what the church does for Christ. The church obeys Christ. The church makes much of Christ. The church doesn't sit on top of Christ. The church isn't equal with Christ. The church doesn't get to tell Christ how it's done. The church submits to Christ. He is the, the author and head of our salvation. He is the one who is king over us. And so you make this beautiful picture that the world sees of the church in submission to its Lord. Understand that. But, but what about, hold on, we're getting there. You have two aspects going on here that so many times that the feminist world and, and all this stuff does not tell you the truth about, which is, the first is you are growing in Christ-likeness. 
You are seeking to be obedient to Christ in all areas of your life, including your marriage. It is what is good and right for you. It is what glorifies God. It's what conforms you to the image of Christ. But on the other side of that is this beautiful picture of the bride of Christ that you portray to the world. Now, if your picture is to be contentious, to be warring, to be demanded as, as in equal authority or all these things, then what is the picture you show to the world? Oh, that the church gets to war against Christ. That's why when we talk about marriage being between one man and one woman, and that's it, there is no other marriage, everything else is a facsimile, everything is, is a corruption, it's because this is what it is. The husband plays the role of Christ, the wife plays the role of the church, and it is a picture of the gospel in action. And everything else that seeks to, to, to claim to be a marriage is a corruption of that. And it, it, if, we, if we don't stand against it and say, no, there's no such thing as a gay marriage, there's no such thing as a polyamorous marriage, there's no such thing as uh, all these other corruptions of marriage. If we don't stand up and say something, speak against those things, then we're saying it's okay to mar the image of Christ in the church. Well, how much more within our own marriages should we do the same thing? Ladies, don't let the world tell you that submission is slavery. It's not. It is a loving submission to Christ to do things according to His will, trusting Him above all else, and then you reflecting the image of the church to the world at large. That's the beauty of your marriage. Paul himself says this, that this is a mis the mystery is profound, that I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. It is a beautiful picture. Now, husbands don't get off the hook here. You know, by if, if we say wives have to submit unto the husbands, that means the husband's in charge, right? Well, yes, but... <laughs> Let's let's clarify this. Paul has something pretty heavy for us. The thing I always find so interesting about this, somebody pointed out this this out to me once. Uh, one, two, three verses in Ephesians for wives. A lot more for us guys. <laughs> okay, um, we get a lot more instruction about being how to love our wives. And, you know, just because we're an authority, just because we are the the picture of Christ in authority doesn't mean that we get to rule tyrannically. We are told to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I want you to hear that again. He, we are to love Christ as, or love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Greater love has no man that, greater love does no man have than this that he should lay down his life for his friends. Jesus demonstrated the greatest love imaginable. He died on the cross for you, dude. For your thick-headed, arrogant, tyrannical ruling mind. He died because that stuff that you want to just... Tough man. You know, you're going to do what I say. He died for that because you deserve to go to hell for that attitude. That goes for people like this knuckle-headed, knuckle-dragging Andrew Tate that's been making the rounds why anybody listens to this man is beyond me but he's one of these you know I, I'm, a, I'm a man's man and I have all these women that love me and, and he, he posted something today and quite honestly I told him to repent I, I don't think he'll ever see it but uh, he says 
When she loves you, she will ask your permission for basically anything. Hey, baby, can I go to the store? Hey, baby, can I watch a movie? Hey, baby, can I play music? And then does a true or false poll. And the sad thing that actually makes me want to vomit is 54% of the people that answer said true. Ugh, disgusting. So the point in that is that is the attitude, that sinful self-centered attitude, that love of self attitude that Christ died for. Sir, you're, if you are his, you're part of his church. How did Christ love you? He gave himself for you. He absolutely gave himself for you. And it's, so when you are in this position of authority, in this position in the home where the wife submits to you, how, how is your, what is your part in this? You love her self-sacrificially. You are willing to die to yourself. You are willing to lead, not as a tyrant, not as a king on high to have his crown polished, to have his pipe fetched for him in his slippers, but rather, you are the chief servant of your home. Ooh, I just made some men, men uh, skin wrinkle up a little bit, didn't I? You are the chief servant. How do I know that? Luke 22, verses 25 to 27. Jesus speaking to his disciples says, The kings of the Gentiles ex exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. The king of the universe, of all creation, who made, who, who everything was made through him and for him, came down off his throne, took on humanity, lived in squalor in the poorest of communities under constant rumor-mongering about his parentage so that he could wash the dirty, stinky feet of his disciples at this particular supper as a servant. He led as the chief servant. That's what you're called to be. You're called to be the chief servant. You put yourself aside that you might lead, guide, comfort, provide for, and serve your wife. You look to her needs first. You put her as your highest priority. There's nothing in this world, no man, no person, including yourself, that takes, takes preeminence pre apart from Christ. You're, you are not in a position of rulership and you get to dictate down to her as your servant. But you're to serve her in such a way that she flourishes in her role as a wife. See, we get to be in that position of authority, but we are called in the same way the wife is to be obedient in all things to Christ. Guess what? So are we. We bow the knee to Christ first. We die to self first. We submit to Christ first. And then when he puts us in that position, we go, thank you for making me a servant that I may serve you and serve my wife. Your decisions should all be funneled through scripture. Your leadership should be in submission to Christ. Your love 
should be so sacrificial that anyone who looks to you goes, that man loves his family because he puts them first constantly. That's what self-sacrificial love, that's what being the authority in your home looks like. You are the chief servant. You know, the first time I went to Shepherd's Conference, um, John MacArthur was talking to this, like thousands of pastors and lay leaders. And he talked about the role of the pastor as being the third lowest level galley slave. That that was the, that that was the, the connotation that the term for that, you know, for the pastor in scripture was the third lowest level, the dude at the bottom of the boat in the darkness rowing. Now, if that's the pastor, what do you think that means for you? Same thing. Same thing. You don't get to be arrogant about your role in the home. You do everything in love for Christ and in love for your wife. Rich? Well, one thing that everyone seems to forget, regardless of which side of this issue someone seems to fall, we need to look at Galatians 5, verses 23 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. When it comes to biblical marriage, husbands, you first exercise the fruit of the Spirit in the home towards your wife and towards your children. Wives, you do the same thing. You exercise fruit of the Spirit towards your husband and towards your children. As We need to keep in mind, too, we're, we're talking about biblical marriage where the husband and the wife are both saved. There actually should be some, and if you want to put it this way, a contest between the husband and the wife. They should be trying to outlove each other. They each should be trying to outdo the other when it comes to exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, not to mention all the other commands on how brothers and sisters are to treat one another. One another. The first and foremost is that we should be doing this in our homes towards our spouse. We should be trying to outlove each other. We should be trying to exhibit fruit of the Spirit towards our wife. Wife, you should be trying to exhibit fruit of the Spirit towards your husband. I know many people in real life who go to church every time the door is open. They, they sing, they participate, they go to the Bible studies, they do all of these things. And I've heard people mention, and I won't go into details, but whether they're talking about the husband or the wife out in public or in church, oh, they must have a really be a godly family. That must be a really, really godly home. They're so nice. They do this, they do that. But I know some of these families personally, and when it comes to how in the home, how it looks, if you were a fly on the wall, you would never suspect this man or woman was a Christian by the way that they talk to each other and, the by, and by the way they interact with each other. One of the primary things we need to remember when we're dealing with a spouse, whether it be our husband or our wife, depending on what you are that's listening to this man or woman, 
but we need to keep in mind that first and foremost, we're dealing with a brother or sister in Christ. And those commands are for us in how we are to interact with our spouse. It's not just for strangers. It's not just for the pastor or that deacon or the couple you sit next to on on the church pew, or it's not just the people that's in your Bible group. We're first commanded to exercise the fruit of the Spirit towards those in our own home, because our home is a small micro-representation of the church itself, of the Bride of Christ. Sadly, 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 I personally know of far too many families who do not do this at home, but yet they do it when they're out in public and they do it when they're at church. But like I said, when it comes to how they act and treat each other in the home, you would never, ever believe that this man or this woman was truly saved. And that's sad, brother. Indeed it is. Absolutely. And we want to make a point of this. I mean, the whole point of this episode is we're kind of addressing is submission slavery and the answer is no when done in a biblical manner a marriage is this beautiful picture of christ in the church on small scale now as you pointed out <laughs> there are many people who can clean the outside of the cup and are rotten to the core on the inside when they go home and their relationships would not reflect this at all and if you're struggling, if you're having that in your home, if you're having the strife, brother, sister, you need to number one, get down on your knees before the Lord and repent, repent for your part in this. Uh, don't go on your knees and say, well, if they would only no, literally you husband, you wife, get on your knees and repent before the Lord for your, the portion for which you are responsible. Because I've said this before and I've said it to others online no one else's sin against you justifies your own. Okay, you don't get to you don't get to sin because someone sinned against you. Now, I also want to clarify because everybody who says submission is slavery ultimately says, well, patriarchy or complementarianism, which is what more is one of the two the two different terms that are sometimes applied to what we're talking about here. That sets up a, a, you know it's a recipe for abuse, and the only way we can avoid abuse is egalitarianism, which is not biblical. Let me just clarify something. If you have sin going on in the home, wife, you you have the right and the duty to, to say to your husband, you're sinning against me. Why? Because that's the first step in any Matthew 18 church discipline issue. We take our, our uh, ourselves before the person sinning against us and talk to them about it. And if they if the person is unwilling to repent, what's the next step? You go and get others. So you have people in your family or his family who know what's going on and, and you bring them in. Be, why? Not so you, well, I'm going to take dominance over this and I'm going to control. No, you're, you're, this is about restoring this individual in right relationship with Christ. We're reconciling that he might walk with Christ. And you bring these people in and that's what you're concerned about. You want to see him repent of his sin. That didn't happen. You bring it before the church. Guess what? You have that right and that duty. And husband, if, if your wife is 
utter, is in complete rebellion against the Lord, and, and is she's sinning against you, and she's do, you know uh, warring against you, tearing the you know tearing the family apart, you know causing friction with the children because she's putting the uh, the putting yourself and her in opposition, so the kids have to make a choice, that kind of thing. And and again, I'm using very extremes here, but what do you do? You first go to her as your sister in Christ, seeking repentance and reconciliation. Husbands, you have this beautiful gift given to you in the form of your wife. If she comes to you and says, you're sinning, you should be willing to hear her, by the way. She was your helper, your helpmeet, not your servant. So you should listen. You should be willing to hear your wife. Your, your wife has wisdom. She has biblical understanding and knowledge because she's growing in the word just as you are. Be willing to listen. Wives, be willing to be led by your husband. You know, you, God brought you into his life to come alongside him and help him, but he is the one that you're there to help and support, which means you need to be willing to let him to lead. But when, hey, brother. Yeah. And I, I, I apologize for interrupting you, but it, it just popped into my head. And if I don't say it, I'll forget <laughs> in five minutes. One thing I want to, I want people to think about and consider. First and foremost, say that uh, the opposition was correct. Say, okay, this is slavery. My first question is, even if it was slavery, what's wrong with that? Who told you that being a slave was the most horrible, horrendous thing in the world that you could ever do. You need to remember that Christ himself said, we're either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. Christ, God, is our Lord and Savior. We are to submit as we would, as a slave would, to sum would submit to their master. People despise this truth, but when it comes down to it, still, even in the discussion about marriage, husband, you're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Mm -hmm. Wife, you're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. First thing we need to do is get rid of this notion that the word, those five letters, S-L-A-V-E, is always horrendous. Mm -hmm. No, the most majestic thing, the, one of the best things, the, the greatest blessing we can ever been, be granted is to become a slave of righteousness. People despise that because, like you said earlier and alluded to, people despise the word submission. They despise the notion that they have to put anything or anyone before themselves. Mm -hmm. We've grown up in a nation to where we're taught, you know, do what feels right, do what makes you happy. Girls can do anything boys can do. Women can do anything that men can do. Men. You can pursue anything that you want as long as it makes you happy, even if it means sleeping with someone that's not your spouse. If porn makes you happy, go for it. Indulge in it. This country, this society teaches whatever makes you happy, go ahead and indulge in it. It doesn't matter. That's contrary to what the Word of God says. Christ himself says we are either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. We're either of our father, the devil, or we're of our father, God Almighty. Amen. Everyone will submit to God as Lord. It's a matter, though, if you submit now or if you submit in eternity when it's too late. And 
initially it all goes back to are we willing, do we desire to submit to the Word of God? If the answer is yes, we desire that, then we should desire to exhibit Christ in every aspect of our life, especially, first and foremost, in our own homes, by husbands loving your wife as Christ commands, by wife respecting your husband as Christ commands. Am I right or wrong? Absolutely. 100% correct, brother. 100% correct. And again, I think what the difference is, is understanding what is the difference between what the world has said and what the Word of God has said. Our perspective must be a biblical one. Our perspective must be that above all else, I seek to submit to Christ. It should not be. One of the things you were pointing out is, oh, ladies, you can do this. You can pursue whatever you want, be whatever you want. Husband or, or guys, you can have whatever you like and you know whatever whatever makes you feel good. That's the world. The world tells you to submit uh, to submit to its system so that you can have unfettered pleasure of whatever type. Yet God and His Word say, submit to Christ, submit unto His Word. Submit unto him in obedience. All of this. And it, ha it speaks to all aspects of our life, including our marriages. So if we don't start with a biblical perspective of submission unto the Lord, and rather we start with what I want, or I think I should have, or I feel we've put ourselves... I deserve. We've put ourselves in the place of Christ... And we're submitting to ourselves first. It is disobedience to Christ when we say, "But I don't. I should not have to do that. But I don't like that because it sounds like slavery. But I don't like that. I should be able to rule over." All of that is disobedience to Christ. And I want to make one other point before we finish here. There is nothing about this passage that these commands are contingent. And what I mean by that is, husbands, you don't get to stop loving your wife if she's not demonstrating the fruits of submission. You still are called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Because guess what? You are church. You are part of the church. And guess what? You don't always submit like you're supposed to. In fact, most of the time you probably don't. Yet Christ demonstrated sacrificial love by dying for you and purchasing you. You don't get to stop doing it. You are still called to submit to Christ and love your wife as Christ loved the church. And and your ruling, your leading, or your authority, and I say all those in air quotes, um, is as a chief servant. Wives, you don't get to stop submitting because the husband didn't lead the way you think he should have. Okay? You know, just because we don't like the way the Bible says something doesn't mean we get to go... Uh, I don't need to obey that. I don't like the way it sounds. Right? You have to submit unto Christ in all things. So, even when your husband flubs it, and he's going to, guess what? He's going to <laughs> regularly. Just like you will flub it regularly. Um, that, that's, that, that right there is going to make some people mad. I just told wives that, that they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna foul up. That if it, if we get anything rich for hate mail, that's going to be the one that gets me in trouble. Wives, guess what? You <laughs> see, you, you sin. You, you, do you know that? You know that, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, hate mail. Uh, Voice of Reason Radio at gmail.com. Uh, address it to Chris. <laughs> but so you're flubbing it. 
and yet you are called to still submit to Christ, your husband's going to flub it. You're still called to submit to him. He's not going to be like Christ. He's not going to perfectly uh, lead as Christ does. He's not going to serve the way Christ does. He, but he is to grow in his walk. And guess what? You're there to help him in that. So neither of us, neither of us, have a contingency plan to disobey. We still must obey. So as we wrap this up, because we want to keep time uh, tight tonight, is submission slavery? The answer is no. Not in the worldly sense. Rich, you made a fantastic argument that we are slaves to something. We're either slaves to righteousness or slaves to sin. Um, but slaves in a worldly sense? No, not at all. It is a biblical command which is, when rightly done on all, 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 all sides, is this beautiful picture of the gospel. A people purchased by uh, sacrificial love brought together for eternity. Despite all its bumps, bruises, and failings, it's this beautiful picture of Christ and his church. Submission is not slavery, and, and leadership is not, is not tyranny. The feminists of the world and the manosphere yahoos of the world have both got it so contorted and twisted out of shape that they, have, they will tell you that if you believe these things, if you practice these things, you're enabling abuse, you're enabling uh, enslavement, you're, uh, you're a misogynist, you're all of these things, and nothing could be further from the truth. You're simply being a biblical Christian. Don't let someone pigeonhole you into believing that, husbands, if you take the role of leadership seriously in your home, that somehow you're some sexist misogynist and you're, uh, you're, you're just uh, turning your wife into a servant. Ladies, don't let the feminists tell you that if you actually love your husband and serve and submit the way you submit to Christ, that somehow you've become uh, you know, internalized sex, sexist. And guys, I'm going to tell you right now, if I see any of you acting like Andrew Tate, I may personally slap you. You don't get to act like that toward women. If you think it's, I need to take dominion in my home, I'm going to smack you. You are the chief servant. You lead by example. You yourself humble yourself before the Lord. You yourself lead by repent, being the chief repenter, the chief studier, the chief... Uh, growing in Christ, the chief of uh, teaching. You do. You set the tone. You set the lead. You set the example. And if you ever rule by fiat, you lost the plot. You rule as Christ rules over you. Yes, you submit to Him as Lord. Absolutely. But He demonstrated His kingship and His love over you by dying for you. Don't ever let me see you saying something like, well, she needs to submit to me. Let me ask you a question. Are you loving her like you're supposed to? Fair question. Are you leading her? Are you growing her in the word? Are you washing her with the water of the word? Ladies, well, he does. he's not leading right, and somebody has to make sure. Well, hold on a second. Have you trusted him like you trust Christ? Have you come alongside him and ministered to him and listened to him and built him up and prayed for him? Instead of commanding him, have you suggested to him? 
Have you taken time to maybe let him do it his way? Because even though it may be the way you think it should be done, maybe it's still leading and maybe it's still going to go in the right direction. Have you done that? Have you been willing to trust him the way you trust Christ? Or do you tell Christ, that's not the way it should be done, Jesus. Let me show you. We don't get to play games with this. It is a beautiful picture of Christ and the church. But if we start monkeying with it and we start adopting the world's thinking and bringing that in, bringing in that feminist ideology, bringing in that manosphere ideology, then we taint everything. And it just looks like the rest of the world. And the world doesn't have this beautiful picture of the gospel on display. No, slavery, submission is not slavery. Submission is, is trusting God above all else. It's loving Christ more than anything else and trusting him and his plans and purposes above your own. And I think that's a beautiful thing when we do it. And I say this as a man who's been married tw nearly 21 and a half years and who is still getting it wrong on a regular basis. <laughs> My wife and I still struggle through it like the rest of you do. We get it wrong constantly. This article, writing this article and reading it to my wife, and we're talking through these things. Both of us are going, yep, I've blown it here. Yep, I've blown it there. We, Rich and I do not do this episode because we're kings of our castles getting it right all the time. Trust me, we're, we're the chief examples of what not to do in many cases. <laughs> but what we hope is that we're inspiring you to think about your marriages biblically. Rich, any other thoughts before we let everybody go tonight? Well, if anyone has a problem with anything that's been said in tonight's episode, especially if you're one of the ones that claims that Paul's writing is not the Word of God, I have a question. Is the book of Proverbs the Word of God? Is Genesis the Word of God? Because in most of what Paul states, he's just reiterating what was written in the book of Proverbs. He's reiterating what God himself said in Genesis. So if you have a problem with this, your problem's with God and His Word. And if you don't believe me, I highly encourage, whether you agree or disagree, I highly encourage, go back and study the book of Proverbs in the parables, in the Proverbs, in the teachings when it talks about, not parables, but when it talks about women and wives. Go back and read the book of Proverbs, because in the in, in the bare bones, Paul is just reiterating what was stated in Proverbs, and he's reiterating what God himself says in the book of Genesis. But as you go forth this week, whatever you do, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. We really appreciate your time with us this week. We really hope that this episode has challenged you, and if you really want to know uh, more about what we were talking about there. If you have not read the article, I'm going to put it in the show notes. Again, it's Submission and Love, Biblical Marriage to Find. You can find it at slavetothekeng.com. Um, try to go into this a little bit more in detail and uh, give a little bit more biblical understanding of those things. But we kind of hit the high points here tonight. Hopefully this has been helpful to you. If you think it could help someone else, I not because we're looking for clicks, not the reason at all, consider sharing either this episode or the article or even both with friends and family because I believe that Christians need to be 
more serious about what our marriages look like before God and before the world and need to reject what the world keeps trying to inject into it. You know, it's, it is really funny. Um, it's a whole different discussion for another time, but some of you may be familiar with the, the atheist James Lindsay who had written a book with regard to uh, critical theory. It's called Cynical Theories. He's often been refer uh, his writing and some of the things he's talked about I think somewhat unfortunately have been cited by a lot of Christians um, I think we can appreciate what he's done but the man is is a reprobate uh, he believes that homosexuality is totally fine and us Christians are terrible for uh, for saying that you know shouldn't be legal and it shouldn't be gay marriage and stuff like that and somebody challenged him on saying that um, Oh, well, here's the atheist saying he knows what a real Christian looks like. And he says, no, but I can spot the fake ones. An atheist can spot a fake Christian? How? You don't even have the basic understanding of Christianity to be able to determine what is or is not true. And so the problem is, is there are a lot of people like James Lindsay's that want to feed into us and tell us, if you're a real Christian, you'll do this. If you're a real Christian, you'll accept that. If you're a real Christian, you'll celebrate this. A real Christian is somebody who studies the words of God, word of God and makes it his life's goal to be obedient to it and to reject what the world has to offer. And that's what we hope we did with this episode tonight. I know it's challenging. It's a, it's a difficult topic. And it, it I, I joke when I say I'm probably going to get hate mail, but there are people who, if I say women sin, their hair let, uh, sets on fire and they scream. And I'm not trying to be facetious i've watched this happen you know in conversations online from with other women telling women hey guess what we sin and those women lose their minds you know um so i'm being somewhat uh, facetious about it when i say i'm gonna get hate mail but it's because they want to inject into the word worldly ideologies and we cannot allow that to be the case we need to take our marriages seriously and we need to be a model of the church to you know the church's loving obedience to the Christ to, to to the world at large, and so hopefully that that article and this episode will help you guys in that endeavor. So as my brother said, take find somebody, preach the gospel to them, share them the biblical way of salvation with them. Talk to your family, your loved ones, about what it means to be in biblical submission to the Lord. And whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. Good night.